Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Uh, Before we start talking about the Buffs, I want to tell you more about Drift Car Sharing. I was really excited to try Drift this weekend while I was in Eugene. Um, It's perfect for this situation. You know, you drop your car off at their lot at the Denver International Airport, and instead of paying to park your car there, they pay you to let you rent your car out. It's all done through an app. It's super simple. I got through the sign-up process because I was going to do it, but at this point, it's not looking like I'm going to have time to like get my car in shape and have time to like actually drop it off, which is really disappointing because I would love to not pay for parking and actually make money, and it feels kind of irresponsible to have not figured this out. But the, the point is, uh, if you guys are traveling, you should definitely check this out. Your car is insured by Allstate, so you don't have to worry about anything bad happening to it. If you're going somewhere and need to rent a car, uh, do it through Drift. You know, they're great partners of ours. Their prices are good. And there's no fee if you're under 25 like I am. So instead of paying the extra 25, 50 bucks a day, you can just pay for a car the way everybody else does, which is pretty nice. Um, If you drop your car off and they can't rent it out, they don't give you any money, but you still don't have to pay for parking. And Drift cleans it inside and out. Uh, If you want to check it out, go to drivedrift.com, and I'm honestly really disappointed that I'm not going to get a chance to do this. Uh, It's about 9 o'clock Wednesday night right now as I'm recording this. I'm getting Thursday's show out of the way because tomorrow's going to be a long day of travel. I have a flight that leaves at 6 a.m., so I'm going to be leaving to the airport at like 3.30, which is kind of soon. And I don't really want to think about that, but I still have to pack and do those things. But the point is, right now, we're talking buffs. And I'm really excited to get out there and get you guys some awesome content from Oregon. And, you know, see what's going on with the team down there. Let's really get into it now. So today, like I said, in the second segment, we're going to spend some time talking about the Oregon defense, which is really what has been winning this team games. You know, the offensive line is really good, but it's it's kind of just a complement to what Oregon is doing defensively. This is a defensive football team that just wants to grind the clock out, grind the ball down the field, don't give the other team good field position, and let the defense make plays. We'll dig into that later, but first I want to tell you about some news. Uh, we totally missed this yesterday because I just spaced it when I was recording the show, But yesterday, the Pac-12 men's basketball preseason poll came out, and so did the 
uh, all-conference preseason teams. Uh, things went pretty well for Colorado. Uh, right now, they have the the voters have Oregon picked first in the conference, Colorado second, and it was one of the tightest votes in Pac-12 history. Oregon had 291 points, Colorado had 288, and Colorado actually tied Oregon in first place votes. So that kind of sums up who those top two teams are, but it's actually pretty deep behind them. So 291 for Oregon, 288 for Colorado, 273 for Washington, 263 for Arizona. And then that after those top four is where you really see the drop off with USC, ASU, OSU, UCLA, Utah, Stanford, Washington State, and Cal bringing up the back. Um, exciting to see this recognition. We've touched on this before, and as the season approaches, I think they have a... I'm not sure if it's an exhibition game or a real game. I think October 29th, so it's still a few weeks out, uh, before they head down to Arizona State in the first week of November. or Actually, not to Arizona State, but to China to play Arizona State. And that's going to be a huge contest, one that's really important. We'll talk more about the Buffs then, and we've talked about it a little bit, but this is a team that it isn't just the voters who think that this is a good team. Um, lots of national recognition. There's a good chance that when the preseason top 25 comes out, Colorado will make an appearance somewhere in the 20 range, maybe 22, maybe 18, somewhere around there, more likely than not. Um, and, and it makes sense. You know, Tyler Bay, I finally had a chance to watch these guys um, I, not finally. I finally actually did go watch those guys because practices are open to the media. Everything's just been so chaotic. I haven't gotten up there as much as I wanted. But, you know, if everybody is living up to the hype. You, you see McKinley Wright just in charge of this offense. Uh, the point guard, he's established. He's a veteran at this point. And he was, he's also picked to be the uh, conference MVP. He was first-team All-Pac-12. Tyler Pitt Bay was also preseason first-team All-Pac-12. They actually picked 10 guys to be on that preseason All-Pac-12 and postseason All-Pac-12. Um, but five guys for second team, I really don't like that. Make it first-team, second-team, third-team if you want to include 15. I don't think any other conferences have 10 first-team players. It just doesn't make sense because of the way that all-conference teams work throughout sports. I mean, obviously you can look at football where they just have one for each position. Usually there's like 12 guys on offense or 12 guys on defense. Sometimes it's like 13 just because they're the different positions that aren't always on the field. But it's consistently, you know, it's just your starters. Um, and, and the same thing in the NFL. Same thing in the NBA. You know, you see it everywhere that that is how you do it. And it kind of shocked me because I hadn't heard that the Pac-12 does this weird thing where they have 10 first team all Pac-12 players for a sport where there are five guys on the court. There are five positions. It's weird, but, you know, it. it's nice to see two buffs in there. Um, Tyler Bay, of course, has also lived up to the hype in practice. You know, the complaints with him are very similar to the complaints with a guy like Andre Robertson of the past, who is now in the NBA, is now an established NBA player. He just can't shoot. He he has all the athleticism. He has the defensive chops. He's six six. It looks like an NBA forward. You know, I went up there with uh for the open practice with a bunch of guys, Tyler Ziskin, uh Ryan, Allie, Brendan Boat, the DNVR Nuggets writer, one of our big acquisitions this month. Um, and you know, Vote was saying I've I've seen like 
five or ten guys just like Tyler Bay in the NBA. You know, he just has an NBA body. He he has that NBA athleticism. He just looks like one of those guys. And that's why Tyler Bay is projected to be one of those top, top, I don't know. I mean, most most people I've seen have projected him just outside the draft lottery in this year's draft. It's awesome that he decided to come back to school instead of going to the draft. He probably would have been picked. He could be gearing up for an NBA season right now. And instead, he's playing for Colorado. And that's something that the Buffs have kind of struggled with in the past is losing guys like Derek White or Spencer Dinwiddie or Andre Robertson, whoever you want to go to, to the NBA. You know, when you you need those guys to come back, if you're a school like Colorado that really wants to compete uh, at a national level instead of just kind of for positioning in the Pac-12, a big year for that. Also kind of a big year for Tad Boyle. You know, hearing people talk in Boulder, I I heard some talk like maybe he could find a job somewhere a little bit bigger than Colorado, somewhere more established as a basketball school. I don't know that I necessarily buy too deeply into that. I mean, he, he, he's kind of underwhelmed in Colorado, but he's done enough to stick around for 10 years. And you can see why some of that, some of the bad things have happened that have happened for this program. You know, those guys leaving early before they have a chance to really compete. Um, this is kind of like your put up or shut up year for Tad Boyle. You know, can, can he actually guide a team to a Pac-12 title and maybe an NCAA tournament run? Um because the Buffs really do have the talent. They have the experience. I think they have, what, top 10 guys back, top 9 guys back uh, in the rotation this year. Uh, have uh, the the big guy, I think Dallas Walton is his name, coming back from injury, 7 feet tall, and he, he can move. They have the other 7-footer from the Czech Republic who, again, can can move. He's, he's a little skinny. I heard that, that was kind of the complaint in the past, but... He's he's crafty for how big he is. I really like how this team looks. Uh, you know, uh, Maddox Daniels, he looks like somebody who's going to come in and contribute. Actually, that open practice, the uh, the, the kid that uh, just committed recently out of Canada, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, I'll pull it up, but, uh, you know, this actually reminds me of the early Buffs football podcasts. When I, I was struggling with names and doing this kind of stuff, um, makes me realize that things have actually kind of gotten better in that light. Uh, and I hope you guys are enjoying that. But as we dig into basketball season and I start going back and watching film, I'm going to start having some real, real good takes for you. But uh, the kid's name is Keyshawn Bartholomew from Montreal, Quebec, committed very late, 6'2, 165 guard. And he in that open practice looked very good. Uh, he's just so shifty, so quick. He was finishing well. He was knocking down floaters. I mean, he made a couple bad decisions, but that's what happens when you're 18. Um, and there were bad decisions where it it wasn't like him making a stupid pass as much as it was him maybe gambling on himself just a little too much, expecting too much of himself, um, going for some kind of crazy shots, and. As frustrating as that be to see out on the court, that's that's the mentality that you kind of have to have for a basketball player. You know, you have to have that bet on me, Kobe, Mamba mentality thing. Uh, liked what I saw to him. He's somebody to keep an eye on. I don't know whether he's going to crack the rotation as a freshman just because they are so deep, but it would be a lot of fun. Evan Batty had a chance to talk to him. Uh, 
so impressed. He's just such a funny guy. Um, only a sophomore. It's pretty crazy. Uh, I, the, the point is these guys have the, the players, the talent to make a run. I'm so excited to follow along. I'm going to start getting up to more basketball practices, spending more time with Tab Boyle and all of them to kind of see what they're saying because it's a big year. It's a huge year. If if the Buffs can't put anything together this year, it's it's going to be tough to be too hopeful for the future. It kind of feels like this is what everything's been building toward, having these guys back who had that hot finish to 2018, I guess like the 2018-19 season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully you guys are bought into that too because we're going to have some some good coverage here. Um, I think that that's about all we need to say about the basketball team. Before we move on to the Oregon defense and before we talk about Breckenridge Brewery like we always do before we transition in there, uh, I do want to note that Makai Blackman was, uh, he, he had surgery on his shoulder and he is done for the year. That's uh, obviously a huge blow for Colorado uh, in a position where they really couldn't afford that. It's going to be really hard for the secondary to step up this week or even for the rest of the season just because they are so young. Um, Feel for the guy. You know, I've talked to him for a few times, obviously. He seems like a good guy. You hate to see it, uh, just like you hate to see it for Chris Miller, another cornerback they lost for the season. It's it's sad for the kids. It's also horrible for the Buffs. Right now they have Delrick Abrams, who's looked very good. I've been really impressed with Delrick. He, uh, I mean, Cleo Tate barely even threw at him. Uh, I think Andre said on the draft pod this afternoon, yesterday, I guess, if you're listening to this Thursday when this comes out, um, he said, you know, maybe there's some sneaky draft hype there. And and I would buy in. You know, he's probably not an early round guy, but he's somebody somebody might want to take a risk on. He has the athleticism. He uh, has the length. He's just a lanky, long, six foot three maybe guy. And... He, he he probably is a little raw, but he's starting to kind of come into his own. Part of the reason he's not getting thrown at is because there are other options. But when you talk about things that have kind of hurt this secondary this year, I don't think you can say Delrick is one of them. Um, Brian Howell of the Daily Camera tweeted out the stat, which was great research, by the way. So Delrick has 13 career starts. Uh, the number two corner going forward with the second and third corner is actually out is KJ Trujillo who has 69 career snaps on defense and 67 of them were against Arizona coming into that game he had played two defensive snaps uh their number three is likely oh boy this is a name that I actually uh I actually have to look up because that's how deep it is uh oh what is it Uriah Hudson is his name honestly somebody I had never heard of which, I mean, I don't like to say that when I'm supposed to be the expert on these things, but he never showed up on the depth chart in the top three or four that they show for every position. Um, not a guy who was expected to get snaps. He has one career snap, uh, and that was against Colorado State in 2018. And, I mean, he's going to see the field. I think I call him the three. He's actually the number four with Tariq Luckett, who has zero career defensive snaps. Uh, 
as the number three. So behind Delrick Abrams, before the Arizona game, you had three. You had three career defensive snaps for the Buffs' second, third, and fourth corners combined. It's uh, it's really too bad. <laughs> Is I mean, I don't know what even to say more than that. Like, feel for the guy, you feel for the team, you feel for the fans who now have to watch it. And you have to watch it against Justin Herbert, who we talked about, you know, hasn't had that knack for explosive plays this year. Um, they, Oregon really wants to run the ball more than they want to throw the ball. Good signs for the secondary, but it, it, it could get ugly. And if it does get ugly, you have to remember that it's it's most mostly because of the depth more than the scheme at this point. And this is a problem that we knew coming into the season could arise if there were, I mean, if, if there was one injury at cornerback, we were worried who's going to be that number three who has to see the field with, with your second and third guys out for the season. Uh, Chris Miller, by the way, we haven't mentioned that today. We've said it before, but uh, torn ACL. He'll, he's trying to return for fall camp. Um, it's tough. Uh, worth noting that uh, Makai only played in four games, so this will be a redshirt year for him. Small silver lining. You know, these young guys are going to get some reps. In a couple years, that could really help them. Next year, it could help them. Uh, it's, it's, it's just no fun. It's just no fun. It makes the game worse when people are missing for whatever reason, and for them to be in pain is just worse. Um, oh, one more note. Basketball-wise, the Buffs women were picked last in the Pac-12. Not a huge surprise, you know. The program hasn't been the strongest the last few years. It's been one of the weaker programs in the Pac-12, a very tough conference to come out of, probably the best conference in women's college basketball. But, uh, you know, they lost some... Some of their leaders last year, they now, I think they bring back uh, Quintessa Kalo Doe, who I've watched a little bit of tape on, and uh, I think I think she's a senior, and pretty much everybody else is freshmen and sophomores. It's a young team. Uh, uphill battle for sure, and we'll be following along a little bit there too, just to see what does happen. Actually, uh, I came home... I think it was Tuesday from Boulder, and usually I turn on whatever Pac-12 game is playing on one of the Pac-12 channels on Sling because there are like six different channels, and they're all playing different stuff. They were actually all playing the Pac-12 Women's Basketball Media Day, and I was like, well, if that's the one thing that's on, might as well turn it on while I tape the podcast, get some writing done, and at least check out what Colorado has to say. Turns out Colorado was the last team that came up while I was watching, and so I watched all of it, uh, which is cool. I mean, obviously, like Sabrina Ionescu wanted to hear from. Um, it was a lot, though. And today I was too busy to watch the men's uh, men's media day on Pac-12 Network. They just give every team like 15 minutes, five minutes with the analysts talking, five minutes with the coach, and five minutes with the two players. I'll go back and check that out, and I'd love to hear what they had to say. You know, I've talked to the guys a little bit, but not a whole lot. It'd be interesting to see what's changed over the last week or so. Okay, want to talk now about Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Um, Obviously, it was created in Breckenridge in 1990, slowly kind of became a classic Colorado beer, and then 
they uh, had the funding given to them to go national. So you can actually find them in 36 different states. So check them out wherever you are. Uh, that reminds me, we're actually now in 29 different countries, the DNVR Buffs podcast, which is a lot of countries when you really think about it. And uh, we're about to hit 30. 30s, I don't know what we're going to do for a celebration of 30, but I feel like there has to be something. Uh, that reminds me that we should probably also talk about Total Bev because you can get 30% off your order of $25 or more when you order through the ca- uh, through the app or the website and use the code DNVR2019. Uh, it's awesome deals already before you get 30% off. Like, it's, it's crazy to get 30% off beer and liquor. You just don't find that anywhere. Like, like anywhere. That's such a steal. Hopefully you guys are taking advantage of that. Uh, I still haven't had a chance to, but I probably should. I will next week because I'm going to have to stock up. I have a couple friends coming in for that Broncos-Chiefs game. And I have a feeling that's going to be pretty rowdy because I don't know how else you watch the Broncos play at this point without putting a couple beers in yourself first. So I will be using that. Hopefully you guys are using that too. Um, so many cool things there. They now have CBD products. Uh it's awesome warehouses, like warehouse type liquor stores in Westminster and in Thornton. Check them out. Um, yeah. So those are some of our sponsors. Okay. The Oregon defense. We talked a lot about the offense yesterday or not yesterday. Well, yesterday for me, two days ago for you. If you guys want to hear about the offense, go back to Tuesday's show. And we talked about Justin Herbert, the offensive line, the lack of talent which is so strange in the uh, skill positions, running backs, wide receivers. Really, they only have the the, the tight end Breland. Um, this is a strange Oregon team, and that continues on the defensive end where they are very good. Um, one of the best teams in the country uh, defensively by so many different stats. And that's the crazy thing is usually you have a defense that's good at something, you know, maybe they have, they're pulling in turnovers like the buffs. Maybe they have a pass rush. Maybe they're good defending the run or, you know, you know, something like this. They have some sort of strength that they just kind of build around. Oregon is just a really good defense all around. Um, let's start by running through some of the stats. So they have given up 9.8 points per game this season. That's first in the Pac-12. That's sixth in all of college football. This season... They have given up four touchdowns all season. Um, that's, again, first in the Pac-12, tied for first in the entire country. Um, total defense, they're first in the Pac-12, under th- of 261 yards per game. Yards per play, under four. That's first in the Pac-12. Passing defense, 166 yards per game. Obviously, that would be Steven Montez's worst game of the season. I mean, I bet you could go back through most of last season and see him put up more than that in every game. Again, first, first in the Pac-12, ninth in the country. Uh, passing completion percentage, 51.5%. First in the country. Pass efficiency uh, defense. I don't know what pass efficiency is, but it says it's first in the Pac-12 and fourth in the country. Uh, red zone percentage touchdowns. Uh, opponents are sc- scoring touchdowns on 20% of their red zone possessions. First in the Pac-12, first in the country. Uh, first downs allowed, 71. Tied for first. Sacks, 19. First 
Interceptions, eight. Only second in the Pac-12. The only metric that they are not first in out of all those. Um, all of those are also top 10 in the in the country. Some of them, like I said, are first. It's a good defense. It's going to be a tough game. You know, you can think back to the Arizona State defense. Uh, it was hyped up. It had, had some good games. It was giving up, what, seven points per game before the Buffs went in there and did whatever they wanted offensively. You know, and that's the good thing is that Colorado's offense really is one of the best, even if it doesn't have LaVisca Chenault, Katie Nixon. You know, Tony Brown is good enough to be a number one receiver. I mean, how many teams in the Pac-12 would he not be the guy on? Um, maybe like USC? I, it's, it's wow. I could tell you for sure he'd be number one on Oregon. Uh, Dimitri Stanley looks good. If if they have LaVisca or KD, again, all these injuries are up in the air. There are like 9, 10 guys right now who are all just 50-50 whether they can play on Saturday. You know, some obviously lean a little on one side of that line, some on the other, but generally it's just a toss-up for a lot of people. And it'll be interesting to see how Mel Tucker plays that, whether, I mean, Oregon's a tough team, 13th in the country. He wouldn't have to say, hey, we're 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 giving up on this game so that we're going to come back and beat Washington State next week. It wouldn't be obvious that that's his thinking if he did say, nah, I think that these guys should rest. Um, so that is an option. He could have most of these guys sit out, rest up, and come back ready to play against the Cougars. At the same time, he could push them all to go because this would be, would it be the signature win? It'd be close. It'd be close for Mel Tucker. Beating a ranked opponent on the road for the first time against Arizona State, obviously in that conversation. Um, the Nebraska win, obviously in that conversation. If he, if he beat number 13 Oregon on the road, that that might take the cake at this point. It'd be, it'd be a close call. I'd be interested to hear the arguments. If you guys have thoughts, again, this is a great time uh, to chime in what's what's the best win for Mel Tucker so far, and would beating Oregon top that? I'll be doing another show Friday, Friday morning. I'll wake up early and tape one so that you guys will have something to listen to on Friday before the game Friday night in Eugene, uh, which I will be there for. Okay, a little bit of a tangent there. Back to this defense. It is really good. Um, it's really good everywhere. Uh, like we said, it's just so deep. Uh, so much talent. Um, it starts at the defensive line, I guess you'd have to say, because everything in football kind of starts in the trenches. Massive nose tackle, big defensive ends. Um, they they kind of run a three four. It goes to like a three three five. They uh, they use a bunch of multiple fronts and they use them well. You know, they again for a third straight week, this is a defense that does a good job keeping offenses kind of off guard. Um up front they have big guys, big athletic guys. You know, Gus Cumberland has played very well this season. Uh you have uh Kayvon Thibodeau, the number 1 ranked recruit in the entire country. Uh he's he's a pass rusher. And, you know, he has he, he's looked like an 18 year old at times, but he's incredibly athletic. The the skill is already kind of there for him. Six five two forty two. Um, He's he's been on the pro, pro football focus watch list. 
Uh, last week he had two sacks and a forced fumble. It's it's really hard. It's it's going to be tough. You know, Jordan Scott at, at the nose tackle is one of the best at that. 6'1", 322, but freaky athletic. Second team all-conference last year. Uh, Pro Football Focus called him a top 10 defensive lineman in the country last season. They have these guys all over, and they're deep. They're really deep. You know, the, the backup nose tackle had a sack and a tackle for loss last week um it's <laughs> it's it's going to be tough to get too much done bryson young the senior um he's he's a a good player in that stud position which they're debuting um back backing him up is i think it's mase funa another freshman they just have playmakers everywhere um and it's frustrating it's it's going to be tough to watch if if Colorado comes out and plays its best game as an offensive line, Oregon is going to be getting some pressure. They're still probably going to rack up a couple tackles for loss because they are just so big and so athletic. Oh, I did just realize though that uh, Gus Cumberlander, the the big name there, the six foot seven, just beast, uh, hurt his knee last week and is actually out for the season. So obviously, like thoughts out to him, but. There's there's one of those guys who's out. It's it's not gonna. They have so much talent there. It's it's pretty incredible. I mean that's that's what Oregon decided wanted to do under Mario Cristobal. They decided that they wanted to be big in the trenches on both sides. They wanted to push teams around and kind of dictate starting from there. And it and it's really working for them. Uh, more of a pass rush type than a run stuffing type, to be honest. But you know, Jordan Scott, the the 322-pound nose tackle, going to be tough to push around in the middle of that defense in the run game. It's it's pretty well balanced. Uh, then, obviously, at the second level, you have Troy Dye, one of the best linebackers in the entire country, especially with the injuries that inside linebackers have suffered so far this season. He's a senior. He's a fourth-year starter. <sighs> Started 38 consecutive games. There's a fun stat. Um, and in the 42 games they've played, he's led the team in tackles in 20 of them. Uh, cool, cool little fact about him. He actually committed to Oregon, I think, as a three-star safety and then switched positions. He's 6'4", 226, I think, off the top of my head. I looked at all this stuff earlier. But uh, again, he's that modern inside linebacker, a guy who, you know, he can stop the run, but that's not what he's best at that's not what makes him a stud what makes him a stud is that he's a safety in a linebacker's body and so you get to put him inside you don't have to worry too much about what, how that's going to affect the run game he's kind of a monster there too but more importantly he has that sideline to sideline speed he has these natural cover instincts he's going to take away a lot of the middle of the field it's frustrating again especially if you know you don't have katie or lavisca Two guys who really do a great job stretching the outside of the field, particularly LaVisca. KD is also very good inside. You know, LaVisca is good too, but that's not where he's mostly used. Uh, if, if you're without LaVisca, who is stretching things up the sidelines, and KD, who can do that as well, even if that's only like half of his game, uh, it's going to be tough to keep keep him keep this defense kind of off balance you know keeping them spread out um 
because you're losing the weapons that make it easy to attack the weakness, which is everywhere where Troy Die isn't. Guys like Dimitri Stanley, who are probably going to be a big part, assuming one of these guys doesn't play, uh, he's somebody who works the middle of the field. Brady Russell, who it sounds like will be back at tight end. Tight ends typically work the middle of the field. It's It could be another big Tony Brown day, or it could just be a struggle. I mean, there's a reason that they're only giving up 166 passing yards per contest. And at this point, I do kind of want to give a shout out, you know, because it is relevant. You know, when, when you see 166 yards per contest passing, you think, well, they have played Nevada and Montana, an FCS team and a pretty, pretty bad FBS team. Montana put up 234 passing yards. Uh, Dalton Sneed, who's won like three Big Sky Player of the Weeks, the National Player of the Week from Montana, my guy, uh, had 184 of those before they put the backup in just for reps. Um, so actually, Montana's stats are kind of skewing these defensive scat- stats upward, uh, just in case you guys were thinking that as we're talking about this. Yeah, so, so you get past Troy Dye, though, uh, to this final level of the defense and you know they're actually pretty good back there too brought back three uh players in the secondary who last year combined for 11 interceptions um so like three three for one three for another four for the last one it's it's gonna be tough to beat i mean they're this defense is very good throughout um the, the stats may be skewed a little bit in favor of uh, helping a strong running team more than a strong passing team against Oregon, but it's going to be interesting to see what actually works for Colorado. Obviously, LaVisca Chenault plays. He's a matchup nightmare for any number one cornerback in the country. Um, Tony Brown, I think, is kind of a, a nightmare for any number two cornerback. Uh, I I think that the, I don't even think that's a hot take at this point. I think that maybe it's pretty evenly matched for Tony Brown against some of the number one corners in the Pac-12. Against number twos, though, he's 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 got the edge there. Then Katie Nixon against number three cornerbacks, obviously, obviously a huge mismatch there. So that's that's why it's so big having Lavisca back, just drawing the attention, opening things up for everybody else. It's a this this is a good defense. I I don't know how else to really say it, but they're they're all over. They they are, they have eight interceptions too in the passing game. A lot of it comes because it starts with that pass rush, getting quarterbacks' faces, making it difficult to make your reads. To if you're Steven Montez, you know, stay within yourself. Uh, and that's kind of where everything is going to start, I think, for the Buffs. You know, Mel Tucker always says you have to start by controlling the, the run game defensively, and so I'd assume that that's a similar offensive philosophy. If he thinks that's how you dictate a game is through running on one end, it'd probably be through running on the other. That's not Colorado's strength. You know, Alex Fontenot's run well. There's been some good run blocking at points. Jaron Mangum has had his moments. Deion Smith is a guy who I'm I'm into. Uh, but it's it's Steven Montez in this passing game that the offense kind of lives or dies by. And Steven's a guy who I've been very impressed with when he's had protection. When that protection breaks down, meh, not that great. But 
that that's a good start and we'll we'll see what actually does happen with Steven whether he is protected enough to make some plays because you know having LaVisca back there helps him too it it's tough to justify rushing six leaving five guys back in man coverage when that is a one-on-one for LaVisca you know all of a sudden you throw a second guy back there and it makes all the run matchup or the blocking matchups just a little bit easier. One more double team, you know, something like that. Hopefully LaVisca plays is what I'm trying to say. I mean, Colorado, it, there's, there's a reason that Oregon is picked to win by 21 points right now by Vegas. Part of it is that betters really do like to put money on Oregon. And so that kind of skews the line in that direction, but it's going to be, it's going to be an uphill climb. This offense is going to have the biggest test that it's faced so far. And I think you could say the same thing for the Oregon defense. I don't think it's played an offense this good if if Katie or LaVisca plays. I don't think you need both to make that claim. Um, I think that that's pretty much everything I wanted to talk on, or touch on. You know, they're deep throughout. Everything kind of starts at the line of scrimmage where they have so many big, fast, physical, skilled guys and a couple more guys who rotate in who are a little bit more raw, but have been making plays, which is scary for the future. Then you have Troy Dye, probably the best player on, I don't think you could say on the team. There are a couple guys on the offensive line, and obviously Justin Herbert, but he's in that conversation. He's one of the best players. He's the the easy favorite for uh, Pac-12 uh, like all Pac-12 at inside linebacker, and there are a couple good ones. It's it's going to be a lot. We'll see what happens, though. If you guys have thoughts, if you guys see a way to beat them, if uh, you guys just want to get your complaints out about how frustrating this is going to be, feel free to leave them in the comments. Love to hear from you. Okay, um, before we get into your comments, and I think we have a few. I, I took a look earlier today. I want to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee, which is the... I wonder if it's our official CBD enriched coffee. I would assume so since we don't sponsor another. I think it sounds good when we say that. Um, reviews are great. Everybody says they've liked it. I, I haven't seen a negative review. Uh, they put the CBD, they infuse it into the coffee. No idea how that works, but it's some sort of science that's pretty cool. So if you like science, it's for you. Uh, it's all natural. It's not psychoactive. So if you like not feeling stoned, it's for you. If... uh you have pain or anxiety or depression or something, you know, it can help you with that too. It's definitely worth giving it a try. Um, there are so many reasons to try Strava Craft coffee. And I don't think we've touched on that. It's actually just really good coffee. So if if those things sound appealing, if one of those made sense to you, then you should definitely try it because you can actually get 20% off when you use the code BSN2019 and they'll ship it right to you. So if any of those things are like half interesting, why not just give it a try with the code because it's probably going to be cheaper than whatever coffee you drink. I have no idea how much coffee costs. But uh, back to the buffs. Uh, as I pull up these comments, I do want to plug the website because if you guys want to get in on the comments, then you can subscribe to the dnvr.com and open the post on the website for this podcast 
today's podcast, which would be something about the Oregon defense, maybe something about basketball. Haven't thought about the names yet. Uh, probably won't until tomorrow morning on the airplane when I put all this together and edit the intro in and make sure that I don't sound like an idiot and do all of those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, subscribe, go to the post, scroll down to the bottom, in the comment section, leave your thoughts. And we had four of those today. Uh, the first one comes in from Zero Mark 30. Great question for the NFL comparison on Montez. Thank you. I think that it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, immediately, I want to think of big, strong-arm quarterbacks who maybe aren't as big of runners just because this is the Montez we have seen this year compared to when he was younger. Okay, I think we're off to a good start. Uh, Byron Leftwich. Not so much the long-throwing motion, motion, but man, could he sling a deep ball. Dak comes to mind, too, but Montez isn't the runner that Dak is. And maybe Joe Flacco? Bottom line is, I think the comparison is to a guy that can wow you on some big-time throws and is a serviceable, serviceable quarterback in their prime, but will leave you questioning, like most of Buff's Twitter slash social media, is he the guy? I'm a Montez believer for what it's worth. I don't know how he will do in the NFL, but I hope he succeeds. Yeah, I think that those are interesting comparisons. It's just so hard to project. You know, I was talking about this with Brian today because I said I threw this question out there. And, you know, we talked through it. And he said, you know, the the, the, the comp here, the, the comp is Paxton Lynch. And you know what? That is That is spot on. I know that that doesn't sound good because of what's happened to Paxton Lynch in the NFL, but you have to hope that Montez does just a little bit more. Montez has a little more fire, wants to study, wants to improve his body, wants to improve his game in general, and is willing to put the time and effort in that, you know, it didn't always seem like Paxton Lynch was willing to. And, you know, maybe he wasn't capable. Maybe he couldn't learn how to play the game. He couldn't learn the playbook. But based on all the things that I've heard, that would kind of surprise me if that's what the problem was. So when you hear Paxton Lynch, you have to think what Paxton Lynch could be. And you know how I responded? Uh, I I said, you know, for that that type of quarterback, you know, you can look at all the different types. You look at the pocket passers. Um, who's a good example of a pocket passer? Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's skip that. But the point is, then you say, you know, then he has the potential to be Tom Brady, Drew Brees. That's kind of the ceiling. Um, you have all of these different types. Uh, when you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson, who's legs first, but also has the arm, you know, then you think Michael Vick, you know, another speedy playmaker guy. That's who he could turn into in his best case scenario. For the Paxton Lynch, Steven Montez type, I think that guy is Patrick Mahomes. Again, huge massive, massive leap to say that that's who Steven Montez will be at the next level, but if everything breaks his way and he turns out to live up to his ceiling, because he does have the arm and that sort of stuff, if he, if he has the brain to put it together, he has the work ethic to do it, and you know all that stuff, then that's kind of that ceiling. And if if it isn't that guy, then maybe it's one of the lower level, uh, level lower levels of that guy, which is somebody like... Ryan Tannehill, maybe? Uh, maybe Cutler had a little bit. I mean, it's a little different body type, but kind of in that gunslinging playmaker because you know that you know that Steven has that in him. He has that big play potential. He will show flash, flashes 
when he inevitably does end up on an NFL roster, whether it's through the draft or I think less likely through the undrafted rookie free agency. Um, he's going to show flashes. The only question is whether he can pick up on the easy stuff. I think, I don't know, Cutler, similar. Definitely different body type, but same flaws, same skills. Eh, I don't know. Well, let's let's see what else you guys have to say. Oh, there's a little more of this comment. Have fun in Eugene. I'm not going to get my hopes up for this game as this was one from early on that I scratched off as a loss and the injuries don't help. But the Buffs seem to win, lose games they shouldn't. I think this is a super valuable playing time for our younger guys and this will help them out in the next few years. Yeah, I think that that's a good take. I think that, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a game that was penciled in as a loss for Colorado if you were looking ahead before the injuries hit. Um, maybe got your hopes up early on when you saw what this team looked like at, did they go 3-0? and No, they started 2-1. and Maybe at 3-1. and Maybe after the Arizona State game, you're looking ahead. Even then, LaVisca's a little banged up. Maybe not. Maybe this was always a pretty surefire loss. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely valuable playing in that environment against players who can play that well. I mean, just seeing what these guys do cannot hurt your team. What What does it look like when they're in the huddle? Are, are they talking? Are they fired up? Are they calm? You know, just seeing how good football players, how a good team interacts can, can rub off. You know, hopefully they're willing to see what's happening and learn from it. Um, definitely good to get the younger guys out there. Um, oh God, silver buff. <laughs> my, my crystal ball, like crystal ball, clever. Okay, my crystal ball tells me that the buffs are going to get their first big loss. The defense is running too thin. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty decent take. Um, there's they're playing Justin Herbert with this depleted secondary, and sure. They don't really have the talented receiver that they normally do to take advantage of that. I think if they had their typical wide receiver talent, we'd be saying like, oh no, how are you going to stop them from putting up 70? But, you know, they don't. And that's why they're the 13th best team instead of a top five team in the country, according to the voters. And swings the odds a little bit in your favor. But yeah, I mean, if it could be that this is the first blowout I would keep your hopes a little higher, Silver Buff. Um, always want to hear from your crystal ball, though. Uh, how about hoops? Media Day picked second in the preseason poll with Bay and Ken on first team. Yet somehow, I think Bay isn't getting enough hype. I like it. Uh, I like that take. We obviously talked about this earlier, and I should have talked about it yesterday, but totally forgot about it um, because I didn't talk to basketball players all day. I was talking to football players all day, so football is on my mind. But we talked about it today. Uh, I like your take that Bay isn't getting enough hype. I think that at at the NBA level, there are a lot of question marks. It's really hard to be a key contributor when you can't shoot. The same is not true in the college game. You know, if if you're just athletic enough, you can get up, you can dunk, you can you don't even really have to drive that much. It's so much there's there's just so much more margin for error that a guy like Tyler Bay should shine. Um, the, the defense, his ability to I mean, catch lobs maybe from McKinley, I, I agree. I think, I think that because of his athleticism, 
I, there's got to be just a little bit of fire for him personally because he didn't go to the draft. You know, this is a, a team that is very bought into the team, just just like you'd expect. You know, that's how they have to play. Everybody coming back. McKinley Wright was telling me at that uh, practice that it's a team that really trusts itself more than it has in the past, and that kind of changed. That's why they went on that 10 of 13 run because they looked around and realized that they had so many guys who were good at so many different things and that if they shared the ball and didn't try to force up quick shots, honestly kind of play like the Nuggets play, then they would play better. And it worked. And that's the mentality that they've taken forward into this season. Um, I don't think that there are a lot of me-first guys on this team. But Tyler Bay had the chance to make a decision that may have turned out to be the better decision for himself, which was to go to the NBA to get his contract, get it, get paid while he knew he could, spend one year in an NBA system. You know, right now he's just going to kind of be, maybe not full year behind where he'd be because he's still going to improve in the college game, but, you know, a half year behind where he would have been if he had gone out and started making a million or two a year, a year ahead of schedule. Um, I don't think that that's something that's really going to push him to be a straight-up me guy. I'm going to get my stats but I think that there is a little bit in there because he does owe something to himself. You know, he he does deserve to reap some sort of benefit and also just having that hype, knowing that you are somebody who could have could be in the NBA at that moment. That's got to feel good. That's got to free things up. I think that he could he could hit another level this year because to be honest, he should be in the NBA right now and not playing college basketball. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's a good place to wrap up that particular talk. Um, moving on to... Oh, wait, was that the end of that? Yep, that's the end of Silverbuff's comment. Sunny Rain, who says, uh, Henry, I promise you that it would be better to have Justin Herbert do a Mike Vick impression running than to have him throw for 400-plus versus our current zone defense. And believe me, Oregon would love to finally see a weakened zone to help get their offense in gear. But it's not Herbert that I worry about. Okay, we'll, we'll stop there and talk to that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, when they're this deep, you got to throw in more man. You, you have to try to find a way to make this less complicated. Like you said, man coverage is not nearly as difficult to play as the zone that the buffs want to that's that's the wrong way to phrase it because there's a lot of athleticism there's a lot of like mirroring your guy you have to be able to just straight up stick with him and it's not an easy thing to do but mentally it can be a little simpler than playing the zone which you know they have to know when to pass off when is your responsibility to match the route when is it to keep gaining depth how do you keep your eyes on the quarterback while still paying attention to where all the receivers are going making sure you know there's all this stuff you have to process mentally and that's difficult for younger guys. I think that more zone man would make sense. I would also caution you this way, though. You know, this isn't a team that spent a lot of time practicing man coverage techniques because that's not what they need these guys to know. You know, they aren't talking about how you how do you jam a guy, stick with him. You know, they don't they don't play that staring the man down instead of watching the ball defense quite as much in the game, so they don't practice it as much. There's a lot of technique that goes into man coverage, just like there's a lot of technique that goes into zone coverage. It's it's something different, you know? I'm actually not sure, especially because we haven't had a chance to watch these young guys. When when you see a guy like Delrick Abrams, 
he he does make you think more of a man corner though um more of a guy who instead of sitting back is up on the on the receiver cuz he can he has the long arms he can push him he can bump him and he's also really fast and he seems pretty fluid so if if he does get beat if the guy does get by him he's not going to gain ground once he's past him there's a good chance Delrick's actually running him down and that's a little different than your Josh Norman Richard Sherman zone corner type uh, these younger guys, though, I don't know. Uh, whatever it is, whatever the strength is uh, for these guys, though, is what you need to be doing. You just got to play to the strengths. I think there's a lot of reason to believe that the strength will be in man just because they've spent most of their football career playing it. You know, it's there will be less straight-up blown coverages, blown assignments where patches of the field aren't covered. There might be guys getting burned, though, because they don't spend quite as much time doing that. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the, the, honestly, the answer here is that nothing that the buffs do is probably going to work. Um, they're they're working against the odds in the secondary. Hopefully, Mikhail Onu's back. Who knows? I mean, maybe Aaron Maddox is close. I know they say, I think, three more weeks, probably. He was tweeting that he's been at practice be good to see of course it'd be great to see but they've got to do with what they have and we'll see what they think the best plan is um moving on with the comment uh there it is um but it's not herbert that i worry about it's the oregon defense it's a very good defense in eugene I read a lot of pregame and postgame stuff coming from opponents, and Oregon isn't taking the Buffs' offense lightly at all. They're saying it's their toughest challenge to date. I find that interesting after having played Auburn, who has quarterback Bo Nix, and one of the fastest players in the nation and wide receiver Anthony Schwartz. They see how that turned out in the second half of that game. So they're going to be ready to ball out. We're going to need all hands on deck. Hopefully LaVisca can play. We're going to need him big time. Yeah, I mean, I think I actually said something similar earlier. That I do think that this probably is the toughest test for this Oregon defense. Um, we'll, we'll see. You know, while that offense, the Oregon offense versus Buffs defense is going to be not great football. <laughs> you know, if, if Oregon's moving the ball, it's probably going to be because of the blown coverages. You know, they have that strong offensive line. Maybe they can run, but the Buffs run defense has actually been pretty good this season. I've been impressed at least. I mean, it's not going to be great football during that half of the game when Oregon possesses it. When Colorado's offense is on the field playing that Oregon defense, it's going to be incredible. I, if you told me that Colorado is a top 10, top 15, I think top 15 offense in the country, I wouldn't argue. Not if they're healthy. I think that they really can play like that. I think that there are stats that show that, even with LaVisca sitting out. Um, on the other side, obviously, Oregon's in that conversation the same way. Top 10, maybe, defensively. All these stats would say that they're pretty easily in the top 10. It's going to be... A blast to watch. You know, you just have to hope that the Buffs defense can keep it close enough that it matters. As 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 frustrating as it could be in this game, I know I will enjoy seeing two great units go at it back and forth. Um, agree, LaVisca would be a huge, huge factor in this game if he's able to play, uh, as he would be in any game. He, honestly, in most NFL games, he would be 
a, a game changer. And if you can do that there, you need to be on the field at the college level. Uh, Sunny Rain also says, my Montez NFL comparison, Kirk Cousins. That's one that actually came to my mind too. That was one when I was thinking Tannehill, Cutler. Yeah, I, I, when we say these, obviously there's no guarantee that Montez becomes starting quarterback caliber. There's a good chance. I mean, as much as I hate to say it, like knock on wood, I'd be willing to bet on Steven Montez at this point. I do have to say, you know, maybe he just doesn't get it. Maybe things don't work out. Maybe for whatever reason, the playbook's just too much, whatever. He he may never get a chance to be on the field in the NFL. And don't think that his his expectation is somewhere between the mix of all the names that we've thrown out. Those are Those would be pretty good scenarios. Uh, even if Kirk Cousins isn't your favorite starting quarterback, he's still a starting NFL cornerback, and that's in the top 10, 15% of outcomes for Steven Montez going forward. Um, okay, my Montez NFL comparison, Kirk Cousins. Pros, strong arm, more mobile than you'd think, even though he looks kind of awkward running. Hey, where have we heard that? Uh, has a bit of fire to his game. Okay. Cons, stares down receivers. Decision-making is spotty and throws into coverage often. Scared to death of pressure. Feet get all kinds of goofy when trying to escape the pocket. Needs tons of talent and a good scheme to be his best. Yeah, I, I think that that's another another good comp. Um, this has been a lot of fun. If you guys have your comps, I honestly, let's just open these comps up for any player. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who you want to go for, but I think that this is kind of a fun exercise to to make these comparisons and see what's going on. You know, LaVisca Chenault, Julio Jones, I don't know. Uh, Alex Fontenot, that's a tough one just because he's young and like projecting the NFL is a bit of a reach at this point. He still has a couple years, but yeah, I don't know. I'd be interesting. Nate Landman, Mikhail Onu, uh, Mustafa Johnson. I don't know. If you guys have any fun comps, anything that you think the rest of the listeners in 29 countries, I will add, should hear, throw those out there. If you have any thoughts for the Oregon um, game, any you know final thoughts as we get down to it, like I said, I'm going to be recording a podcast pretty early Friday morning so that you guys will have a chance to listen to it before the game. I'd love to get as many of your voices on here as possible just because you know it's more fun when we get a whole bunch of different takes. You guys want to drop predictions, whether that's score predictions, whether that's uh, who has more passing yards, Justin Herbert, Steven Montez. Um, does does Mel Tucker show up in shorts? Any sort of prediction that you guys have, feel free to throw it in there, and we'll get to it Friday morning. Uh, okay, before we go, I do want to say, you know, it's this might be a game that's going to be tough to win for Colorado, but they still have to play it. They still have to go out on the field. It hasn't kicked off yet. There's no reason to write it off just because there's so many injuries. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make it as much fun as you can up until the point that it's not fun. And knock on wood, hopefully it never turns that way. But the Buffs are going to be the only team playing, uh, or I guess Oregon will also be playing, in the entire country for the second half of that game on FS1. There's a national audience. Um, They're playing at Ots and they're playing a ranked opponent on the road. There is a lot to be excited about. So, you know, get get a little hyped. Don't don't just be too Debbie Downer about this. Get excited because it's football, college football, and anything can happen. Um, yeah, throw your predictions in here. Let's try to have some fun on Friday to get 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 the energy up as we approach 
another opportunity, you know, an opportunity for Mel Tucker to go 2-0 and on the road against conference opponents. All right, I've got to go. It's like 10 o'clock, and I haven't packed yet, and my flight leaves at 6, and I live a ways from the airport. So <sighs> we'll see how the next 24 hours, 48 hours um, will go. And I'm excited to bring you guys along with me in my like Twitter, on my laptop, you know, all the places where internet friends hang out. Okay, uh, thanks for listening as always. Uh, if you like the podcast, I don't uh, throw like a five stars on iTunes or whatever you think I deserve and leave a review because it really does help get this out there. Get this into a 30th country, which would be pretty awesome. Uh, just drop the DNVR shirt line. Five new shirts, like three new hats, something like that. I think it's five new hats, actually. I'm going to be wearing all that stuff. It's pretty awesome. Check it out. Uh, all right. I'll talk to you guys on Friday. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly did a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. See you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Colorado swag, my Colorado 